0: Alright everybody, so today we have a debate on the podcast. We have new IFBB Pro, Paul Canoe and Calvin Huynh. How you doing, man?
1: Doing great, Dave. Thanks for having us
2: on.
0: Yeah. How are you, Paul? Did you guys watch the Olympia at all?
2: Yeah, I watched a little bit of it here and there. Um, I was mainly just streaming it off, so a Friends thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you watch it at all, Calvin, if you're into the, uh, the pro scene.
2: Uh,
1: I didn't watch it. I... Usually keep up to date with it through other people's social media. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I didn't watch it this time around.
0: Yeah. I mean, kind of the same with me. So, uh, you know, I I watched Nick Strength and Power. So that's like the only way I I really hear anything about it. Um, It's not, I don't, you know, and I think like most people, they don't find like that physique super appealing. Um, To me, it's kind of like the story of it. So, you know, like um, Big Rami just won. So that was the whole thing. He never came in condition. He finally came in condition. Phil Heath came back. And not only did he not win, he actually came in third. So that was interesting. And um, Chris Bumpstead kind of just wiped the floor with uh, classic physique. He just looked insane. But maybe you'll be up there one day, Paul.
2: <laughs> That's kind of the goal over the <laughs> year or so. Kind of walk up the season and kind of see how things go. Yeah, I
0: think um, looking at Breon, I actually thought his, like from a classic standpoint, I think your structure is a more classic, especially with what they're looking for nowadays. Like, it seems like it's kind of changed a little bit. Hmm. I I think you'd actually have pretty good success there.
2: Ironically, um, one of the guy, Kenny Walsh, who was the um, posing coach from most of the pros, was at the NPC Universe. And like, I literally showed this guy my physique and he's like the posing coach. And uh, literally had nothing to say, and just like, see when you get your pro card. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, okay, this That's is awesome. what I was
0: expecting. That's very nice. Great. Like,
2: I went in there, crushed it, and then, yeah, it was a very interesting competition.
0: That's cool, man. So, uh, we all started talking in the little group chat maybe one or two weeks ago. Um, somebody had let me know about the debate you guys were having in a Facebook group. Um, I think, Calvin, you were the one who, who said, hey, you know, let's do a debate on it. Um, and so here we are. So you guys want to give a little bit of this story there?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead. Paul.
0: Yeah, um, so I'd have to
2: pull it up. Initially in the post that we were kind of talking about one of the comments that I made was something about like volume is not the driving factor of progression when it comes to building muscle and then that's one of the things that um, he did agree on, but he did say there was a lot of like extra nuances of why volume is still important. And I would like to hear some of his opinions and why he thinks there's still an importance in volume when it comes to um, progression.
0: And Cal, I mean, I've had Paul on twice now, and I, I think a lot of people at this point know who he is. So I've not had you on the podcast before. So for people who are just being introduced to you, can you kind of explain your, your background in this scene?
1: Yeah. uh, Long story short, I do three things. I am a personal trainer out of California. Um, I'm an online coach. Uh, Right now, I'm coaching a lot for a company called Macros Inc. Um, And I've coached for a few other companies before in the past, uh, as well as my own. And then third, my favorite thing is I love to dissect science and write um, a lot about fitness and nutrition. So uh, I've written for lots of websites. You guys can see it on my own website. Uh, Some of the articles I've written for other sites and then for my own as well. So that's kind of what I do. And I saw uh, Paul had commented something, and I agreed with parts of it, and I disagreed with other parts to varying uh, degrees. And so I kind of just told them, hey, we're kind of the young guys of the industry now, and all these old guys are building businesses, making apps, and hiring staff, and they're not debating anymore. So we need a debate. So let's do this (laughs) respectfully, and I'm excited to, to see what Paul's got.
0: Is Macros Inc., is that Brad Dieter's company? Yeah. OK,
1: Brad yeah. and Jay,
0: Jay. OK, I'm not familiar with Jay, but I know Brad. Cool. All right, guys. So uh, who wants to start? I'm going to do my best to stay out of it and not you know, give my opinion. <laughs> Hold us much. back. <laughs>
2: so um, I like him to go and kind of just tell me what a nuan- nuances that he thinks are there. OK, so we'll, we'll start with the, the first point. I think the first point was
1: the um, what sort of factor drives progression. So just for context, I think we're talking about uh, hypertrophy and we're talking about maximizing hypertrophy. So I did agree with Paul there on the point of uh, progressing, uh, progressing the, the stimulus is what's going to drive hypertrophy. Um, I did think he dismissed volume a bit because if you progress the stimulus, you still have to have a certain dose of stimulus, which for definition's sake, that's how I define volume, is volume is the... The dose of stimulus, so it's the dose of the signal that you're sending to your muscles to stimulate the the cascade in order to trigger trigger uh, muscle protein synthesis. So while progression is necessary, I agree. Like you can't if you if you manipulate all these other factors and you don't have progression, you don't have uh, you don't have hypertrophy. But if you have progression and you don't focus on volume, then you have subpar hypertrophy because you're not optimizing the dose. So just like anything you take, like if you take like a pill, um, there's an optimal dose, if you take too much, sometimes uh, there's side effects, or sometimes you don't get the the intended effect you're, tr- you're, you're trying to get. But if you take a dose, that's too small, you don't get the effect size that you want. So that's why I think volume is still important, even though uh, progressive overload is the driver of hypertrophy.
2: That's a very fair point. But however, um- from where I'm coming from with that, like I used to think volume used to be the king of progression because back then when I was younger, I was like, oh, you do more volume, you gain more weight, you get bigger and you get all that stuff. But then gradually as I looked up into it, it kind of doesn't make much sense per se because I'm somebody who trains literally like maybe four to six sets per week on a muscle group. And I never, ever, ever had to, like, increase the volume as I go gradually. So the volume kind of stays the same. I'm going to use my um, anecdotal experience for once. So prepping-wise, this entire year, I literally ran, like, six sets on everything for, like, six months. And I made the biggest progress that I've ever made in terms of um, my years of competing. But while I was doing that, I also learned the fact that, like, volume itself is good to have. But at the same time, it's what you do within that volume that creates that stimulus. You could have somebody who trains with like a lot of volume, but then if the weight that they're using is just not enough to, pro- to provide stimulus for them and they're not training closer to failure or at least one to three reps and reserves or going over failure, there's really not that much growth to be seen. And I think we can attribute to that when we realize that we do have certain people who don't train hard enough. And when they don't train hard enough, they kind of just stay the same or they just never progress overall. Yes, volume is a factor, but the most important factor in terms of progression is how hard and how much intensity you give within that volume to drive stimulus.
1: Gotcha. So I pretty much agree with almost everything you said there, except probably that last point is uh, probably the intensity, which I think that's probably gonna be the the main focal point we'll talk about later. is intensity and progressive overload are two different things. They kind of overlap in some sense. Same thing with volume, um, which we can get into in a sec. But um, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said. But who's to say that if you added like another set and you manipulated some of these other variables, or even if you don't manipulate them, that you couldn't get your your better gains, your best gains from let's say seven sets as opposed to six sets. So that's kind of where I think volume's important where I agree with you that the foundation is training hard enough. Like you have Mm. to get close to either, uh, like you said, three reps in reserve or all the way to failure to get robust growth. Like without that, it doesn't matter how much volume you do. But once you're at that foundation, the question should be, where should my volume be per muscle group? And where should it be within the program? Because in some cases we increase volume and in some cases we decrease volume based on, uh, Based on energy balance, uh, recovery, and a few other factors as well. So,
2: so that's a pretty good point to make. Like I said, it also depends on like the work capacity. So, what I've been doing recently, what I've kind of noticed is that you can have a low volume routine and never have to remotely increase it or decrease it. But if that work capacity is there to drive hypertrophy, you can actually make gains within just that specific low dose volume and never had to change anything. So um, um, perfect example that I would use would be, so let's say the bro science guys, the guys who are just like all science and stuff like that. They do apply this high threshold for volume of like, yeah, we have to hit everything like twice a week and stuff like that, do all this volume. But I've always wondered why their progressions have always been so stagnant. And I wonder if like they're putting enough effort into what they do or the studies that they're looking at are always just referring people who are just basically beginners and novice, and it doesn't take account into anything. So like when we talk about like scientific data, most of these data is actually not being used by someone who's advanced. And it's very hard to kind of know what's what if you're a beginner, because no matter what volume you use, you're always gonna progress regardless. But let's say you get to the point where like an advanced individual, and you know that like doing like two sets works but you're driving more intensity into it. Like you're going to grow in that sense. But I think from your perspective where you come from is like, you're pretty much a science guy. That is true. Right.
1: Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I believe strongly in anecdote as well. So don't take me as one of those guys who just reads PubMed and I don't train people. Or I don't train myself or I don't train hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't like those guys either. I'm, I'm not a big fan of them either, mm. but, um, to interrupt your point just a little bit is I think data, the scientific data, um, when you try to when you try to come to a conclusion you use both anecdote and you use science but science has more weight to it in certain cases and I think in this case it does because we're trying to look at what's maximizing hypertrophy and we know we already agreed that progressing mechanical tension will get you hypertrophy and so whether we do a low volume program or a high volume program, and I'm not in favor of either one, by the Mm. way, Um, but whether we do either one, and we progress mechanical tension, there's still going to be growth. So you can still see people that say, oh, I got big on low volume, and you'll still see people, oh, I got big on high volume, and I got big on moderate volume. But what science does is that even though there are problems in science, and I don't disagree there, it controls as many of these variables as possible to say, okay, with mechanical tension already being progressed, where should we lean towards? Should we lean towards that higher volume? Can we get better gains from higher volume? So I, I don't disagree with you when you say, yeah. oh, if I, if I can train within my recovery and keep volume low, I'll keep making progress. But I think where I'm coming from is that while that's true, who's to say we can't experiment with that volume and that intensity in order to get better gains? Because that's where the, the evidence lies, in my opinion
2: but there comes a diminishing return factor where the more volume that you tend to do, gradually there comes a diminishing factor where you just end up just doing junk volume. So why not just optimize your volume by keeping it somewhat in a range that's really like super effective, but then increasing your workload and just make it a lot more intensity. Um, let me look at the post. Why volume is so, important. so yes, I'm actually going to agree with you with this one. Um, volume is still important as a factor, but the progression of overall intensity and adding weight to the bar will produce a better progress than in volume, because you can only increase volume for so much.
1: Yeah, uh, I don't disagree in which is more important. Um, I I agree that progressive overload is important. The point I'm trying to get at is the progressive overload gives you hypertrophy. But Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think the goal of the debate should be what's maximizing hypertrophy. And I agree that progressive overload maximizes hypertrophy because it has to be there. But you have to optimize both of those. So if you can do more volume and still progress, right? um, Who's to say you can't get better gains that way?
0: So can I clarify something here? Um, because at least, you know, to me, when we're discussing progressive overload, I mean, that's just literally meaning more than last time, right? Or in the words of Greg Doucette, harder than last time. But yeah, not doesn't necessarily even literally have to be harder. But just the reason I'm bringing this up is because technically you can progressively overload through volume or intensity. So mm. it, they're not separate. Now, if intensity versus volume would be separate variables so it, it sounds like maybe paul is arguing for more like having high intensity and as a form of progression
2: with that right. Of, uh, volume
0: right and calvin you're maybe i mean and obviously i think we would all agree you, you need all yeah. these to some degree but calvin it sounds like you're saying more focus on the volume as your progressive overload is that accurate
1: uh no actually not so i think okay. um I think that you have to add so I think here's how here's how I define these three variables. So progressive overload um, is uh, increasing the, the training stimulus, so either doing more weight or more reps, right, for given the same amount of sets. And then volume is the number of hard sets, so the dose of that stimulus. And then intensity is how close you get to failure within that set. So if you go if you if you progress via intensity, right? then uh, you have to keep training harder. So you eventually have to get to failure. And once you're at failure, how do you train harder, you, you go past failure, if you go past failure, right, you're introducing a new dose per se. So by definition, intensity and volume bleeds together. Because if you train past failure, you're essentially doing more volume, which is a little bit off subject. But I, I see a lot of these guys who, you know, they, they bash on volume a lot, but they're they're always promoting rest, pause, drop sets, extended sets, you know what I mean? And these things by definition, are more volume. But getting back to my original point is um, the progression is within the adding the weight and adding the reps within the sets, the intensity is and we can talk about varying intensity and stuff like that. But intensity for me, uh, to optimize it, you have to have a baseline at the very least. So you have to get close to failure. Once you get close to failure, once you're adding weight to the bar and adding reps each week, then you, you, go and, you go and see, okay, based on my current progression, is the current dose of my stimulus optimal, or can I add maybe one more set and make it even better? And if I add two more sets and maybe, maybe I shave off some intensity, but not to the point where I'm far away from failure, maybe I go from training to failure for two sets, and I switch that to training maybe, let's say, four sets, and I stay two reps away from failure. And what I'm saying is that's generally more optimal as long as you can recover for it from it.
2: All right, so I kind of do understand where you're coming from with that, just a little bit. But from my perspective, I've always considered progression and intensity and volume to be all one and the same. They're not like separate from each other. So if you're driving your, your, um, your volume a little bit higher, yeah, you can make more, possibly more gains based on that. But you have to change those little factors within it, whether that just be your sets, reps, how uh, how much weight you're using, how much intensity um, exercise you're using, such as like a drop set, cluster sets and all that. Like, like uh, what I'm trying to say is like, you can actually do all those without increasing the dose dependent of your volume and maintain it the same. You don't necessarily always have to add one more set or two more sets to make more progress out of it. It's, it's about just having a weight on the bar and being able to apply that to be able to increase more tension in terms of mechanical tension and allow driving the stimulus to damage the muscle fibers. And then once the muscle fibers are damaged, you have to repair it, and then you kind of grow. But you don't necessarily need to add more volume, if you know what yeah. I'm trying to say.
1: I, I think we're honestly, I think we're going a bit in circles. I, I don't disagree with you in okay. the sense that you don't have to add more volume. Yeah. But um, if let's say you're underdosing your volume, right? And you can still progress the stimulus, why would you not add more sets?
2: So actually somebody asked me this question about like minimum effective volume. And I kind of looked at it a little, and I'm just like, you, I don't know how to put it. So you don't necessarily need to limit yourself a certain amount of volume like if somebody says hey do two sets yeah you can do two sets and still grow but like you could also add one more set in there but you'll grow but like again what i'm trying to say is that like what if you don't ever need to change the volume and just keep it the same but still progress through the intention intensity of the workout
1: then you'd be you'd be fine as long as as long as all the other variables are already optimized
2: yeah, and that's what I'm trying to argue for. Like as long as all the, all the variables are optimized, you can still progress. But like you said, you can add more and more set in there. But then there comes that diminishing factor. What if someone's effective dose of growth is just keeping two sets, but then just training hard enough to be able to drive hypertrophy?
1: Well, if that's if we're going by the, the actual volume landmarks, right? So if that's their effective dose, is that their how far away from their their maximal recoverable dose? Mm. So if you're only training at the, the MEV by definition is the minimum effective volume. So that's the minimum amount to get you some gains. And then the maximum, uh, the MRV, maximum recoverable volume is that's the maximum amount that you can recover from. And what I'm trying to say is why would you train at the MEV when you can train somewhere in the middle, right? You're not over recovering or you're, you're not under recovering or, or over training, but you're training at a, at a good dose of stimulus.
0: Can I ask you, Paul? Um, yeah. Because I, I do have thoughts on that, Calvin, and I'm going to again try to <laughs> keep my thoughts to myself for now. But, um, Paul, you know, I, I know you know Mike Isretel pretty well. Uh, mm. You've worked out with him a number of times. So I was actually, because my ideas or my philosophy on training is probably more in line with how you go about it, Paul. So I was actually almost surprised to hear that you kind of veer away from Mike Urzotel's volume landmarks and going from MEV to MRV and all of that. I'm just wondering how your time with Mike has, if at all, you know, influenced your philosophy on training.
2: So um, if you ever see the way that Mike trains, he never, ever, ever, ever (laughs) increases his volume. He just increases how hard he trains. Like he's always doing like two to three sets and then kind of just maintain everything where it's at and then just progress with either weights intensity or just going close to failure as you can like when you look at his um, programs on instagram his sets are literally always the same
0: if if, i don't know if you guys ever like kind of like i don't follow him that much um but i've had clients who used to work with renaissance periodization and they've sent me what their routines were and the ones i saw definitely escalated volume i mean i thought again i don't follow mike super closely but um, it seems like that's a big part of the philosophy.
2: Yeah, um, so I did purchase some of the Renaissance periodization programs that he does like tend to sell to people. Yes, it does increase a little bit, but like them themselves, when you look at their own routine, it's a little bit different from what they sell. But again, they like this comes where it's just like it all depends on the individual. So mm-hmm. they train a certain way that's effective for them. And they've never, barely ever increased their overall volume. It was either like two to three sets, maybe roughly like eight to ten, or maybe even twelve sets per week. And they maintain it at that, and they never change it. Yeah, they gradually like make things harder and harder and harder as they go, and then they do a little deload and kind of drop everything back. But it's always like they start really low and then work up to either two to three sets, and then keep it at that, and then just repeat all over again. But um, so in terms of Mike the w- the reason why i kind of steer away from like what they tend to do preach is because What they preach and what they sell sometimes might be a little different if you kind of pay attention to their program themselves. It doesn't tell you that they do follow the scientific method because, hey, this works for all the general population and this is what they need to do. But like when you're in an advanced level, there's just certain things that you know that does work for that particular individual and you stick to it and you never have to change it. Because why would you change something that works? Like, let's say you're talking about like adding more volume overall yeah that would apply to a lot of people like once you get to a certain point where like you know hey this stuff works this volume that i'm doing is good i'm probably going to stick with this but just change little factors into it you're going to grow regardless if there's sufficient amount of food and nutrition and sleep and all that included into it
1: gotcha yeah by the way just to clarify i am not uh i'm not a huge fan of the progressing the the volume within the the mesocycle so the way i'm not saying like you're progressing volume as a form of progressive overload. I think I kind of clarified that earlier. Mm. But um I think I'm, what I'm trying to say is actually agreeing with you is um, trying to get to a volume that is good for you. So that's the optimal dose for you and then you, you pretty much stick there. But I think volume is very important too because uh two things that highly influence volume is one is your energy balance and then two is your your training experience. So you mentioned as as advanced individuals, once you get there Right? You kind of realize what, what sort of volume works for you, but what we see, you know, as a general term, right, so we're just talking to the general public, whoever's the audience that's, that's watching this, right, generally speaking, more advanced individuals tolerate more volume. So it's good for a beginner listening to this if they, you know, they're currently doing whatever, six sets per, per muscle group per uh, muscle group per week, right, it probably be in their best interest once, you know, one or two years passes by, that they increase that to, to maybe eight sets. And then the other, the other uh, factor is, is energy balance. So the higher your calories go, the more volume you can tolerate. And then the, the lower your calories go, the, the less volume that you can recover from. So all of these factors are constantly at play, which is why I think I'm not saying to, to progress the volume each week and just to add sets without, without worrying about uh, progressing the stimulus. What I'm saying is you should always progress the stimulus, but keep an eye out on the volume because you never want to have a a suboptimal volume. Yes, you can can keep just progressing the stimulus without adjusting your volume, right? Let's say you keep like a a very safe number. That's good for both beginners, advanced energy deficit or energy surplus. You can keep making gains. But I think to maximize your gains, you always have to look at your volume. You always have to keep an eye on it.
0: Mm. So um, I think I'm just gonna this, just to clarify real quick with Calvin. Um, so you are also saying that you and you did kind of clarify earlier that you're, you're discussing volume here, and making sure it's sufficient, but you are not in favor of increasing week to week, as far as like a, a stimulus for progression, and then resetting to MEV and, and all that, right?
1: Generally speaking, yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, so I'm going to title this Paul and Calvin debunk Mike Isertel's volume <laughs> progression. <laughs>
2: Just I mean, kidding, no, Mike, don't block lie.
0: me. <laughs> but um,
2: no, so when we come in terms of like general population, yes, I agree with you that add in more volume gradually as you get, as you kind of reach that stimulus level, is a lot more beneficial to help better gains. And that's completely fine. That argument is, I 100% agree with you, that volume is a driving factor there. And you did mention like the more advanced you do get, the more volume. That you up need. to a point, too. So I'm not just saying oh, yeah. increase up to, like, 45. Yeah, well, that's seconds. that's where the bro split theory comes in. We do, like, 50, 60 freaking sets. And eventually comes that comes at diminishing return. But, yes, when we speak in terms of, like, general population, I com- completely 100% agree that volume itself needs to increase over to a certain point to kind of stimulate more hypertrophy. So that part I understand. with, But, like, from an advanced perspective, when you're not when you're out of that general population – it all comes to the terms of like, you don't even go by science anymore. I, I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds dumb, but you don't really go by science anymore. You go basically by what you've been doing for so many years and that's effective for you. And then it all comes to the point of like, how hard are you training? But yeah, yes, yeah. I agree with you.
1: For sure. And I kind of agree there too, but the, the point of how hard are you training? That I think that there's two flaws in that one that should be a baseline before you become advanced is what I'm saying. You should be already training hard in order to get advanced. Cause if you're not, you're not going to get any growth because we already agreed that you have to get at least close to a certain intensity. Mm. And then once you're at that advanced level, right. If you progress intensity, right. Which there's nothing wrong with. um, But if, if the, the, if you get behind the prime idea of, okay, I'm just going to train more intense. You're by definition doing more volume because you're going to train past failure. You're, doing more, you're hitting more failure points, essentially, which is more, uh, more sets. You're, you're extending the duration of the stimulus.
2: So in an advanced theory, in my whatever experience I do have with it, um, you don't necessarily need – again, we're going back in circles. But yeah. <laughs> as, as an advanced person, um, it really all boils down to how, how much intensity you drive in towards your training. But in terms of I'm gonna try to make it a lot easier to understand because like the way when I do talk about these things, it tends to apply to like more advanced mythology than like the general population. But in terms of general population, yeah, most people who are starting out training don't really know how hard they train, plus they never train really hard to kind of understand how hard to train to get to that point to where they're in advance. Because some people just don't really put the effort in when it comes to training. So that's kind of the one of the problems i had with that like you did mention that like you always have to be able to train before you get to that advanced point Mm -hmm. um most people just don't know how to do that but it's like all all the way down the road they realize okay i have to actually work a lot harder now to be able to get myself to where i need to be because things are just so much harder for that person to grow in terms of hypertrophy that the only thing that they have to do is just train a little bit harder and by harder i don't mean just like go balls to walls (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) But it's more of just like having that sets, like reps in reserve to where you're kind of at least like one to two reps or three reps of failure. And you can kind of just back off. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go anymore. I got what I needed out of that. And then you kind of rest up, do again. And then the next week, you kind of repeat the exact same thing. And that's where I'm coming from, where you start increasing the, the uh, not a, you don't increase the sets, but you just increase the weight. You increase how hard you're training, and then you overall increase how much you can rest to be able to have you progress over and over over and over again. Um, So, general population wise, they don't know anything about how to train hard.
0: Yeah, let me ask you, uh, because Calvin, I I think you would probably say, All right, so like you've got a trainee, they're on X number of sets per week, and they're pushing fairly hard, maybe one RIR. If they're not making progress, and you know other things are in place, that might be a time when you would say, hey, let's increase volume, right? Would that be accurate?
1: Um, assuming overload is taking place. So the reason I, I kind of define overload and intensity as different things, and I don't really say, oh, you just need to train harder each week, is because um, if, you, if you add overload, right, so if you add weight and reps, like we mentioned, you're naturally going to train harder. You have to train harder because, because the increase, is, go- is going to surpass your, your adaptations at some point, right? You're never going to be like, let's say you're training like you know 10 reps away from failure. Even if you get someone that trains really far from failure, but you get them to increase the load and the reps every week, they're eventually going to get very sure. close to failure. So,
0: So what I'm um, saying is if they now cannot progress anymore. So, okay, now it's been two weeks. They've done the same workouts. They can't add reps. They can't add load. It's the same level of intensity. I would assume that that would be a time when you would say, hey, let's add volume to try to increase the dose of stimulus.
1: Um, actually not. So if they can't really? progress, that's since that's the foundation we agreed on, if they can't progress, I would either lower the stimulus, so lower the dose, or get them to deload. But in another scenario, so the way I, I heard the question the first time was if progressive overload is already taking place and for s- somehow you know that muscle growth is just not occurring, then yeah, I would increase increase the volume. But generally speaking, if overload is taking place, then muscle growth will take place. And if volume is is if volume is not currently optimized, or in my opinion, if it's not like if, let's say they're recovering very well, they feel super fresh, right? They're not even sore at all, I wouldn't mind increasing like one or two sets at that point. But going so- back to your scenario, if if they're not overloading, I would try to get them to, to actually lower the volume.
2: But Let me me just kind of like stop here for a second. Um, When we did start this, your entire um, argument was that there's, it's not just intensity, but you also have to add the volume, right? For them to add that extra set for them to be able to kind of stimulate hypertrophy. But it's weird now that like when he asked that question, you kind of just said, okay, if the intensity and then like everything else is there, and they're not progressing, you're just going to keep the volume the same? Why wouldn't you just up it by just one more to increase the workload?
0: I'm a little confused by that as well because I thought that was kind of your whole paradigm, because that is like, if you talk to like 3DMJ or something like that, they would say, all right, you know, have everything ideal. And then, you know, if the person's really run down, then yeah, they might need a deload. But I think 3DMJ and Mike, even though they have different kind of paradigms would both state that, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but they would state that, okay, we're not progressing anymore. And assuming your sleep is in order, your eating is order, et cetera, let's try to increase the volume. I would say it's a very standard method of doing it.
1: Gotcha. But what do you mean by not progressing, not progressing the the weight or not progressing? So like, let's say all
0: they reach, like
2: all the stimulus factor that you mentioned, they hit the weight, they're increasing whatever to a certain point, but then they're just not making muscle progression, Or they're not just not, they're not
0: growing. Yeah, they're in the gym. So they went and they did... Bench press 225 for 10. Then they did it next week, 225 for 10. Then did it next week, 225 for 10. Hey, I'm not going anywhere.
2: Wouldn't you just want to up the volume dose a little to add an extra work capacity for them to drive more muscle? Even if it's just like 225 for 10 again, you're still somewhat increasing the volume to allow more hypertrophy.
1: Yeah, in that case, I would. I I interpreted the question the the first time when you said when they're not progressing, I thought you meant they're not progressing in overload. Like they're unable to add more more weight, like they're, they're degressing. They can't, they can't meet their previous PR.
0: Not that they're regressing, just that they're not progressing, just stagnant. Because my lead-in was gonna be okay, you would add volume, I assumed, and then I was gonna say to Paul, since you're not f- in favor of tending to increase volume, how would you it handle just that increase situation? increase intensity.
1: Gotcha. In that case, if they're just stagnant, I would just keep them the same, and then hope next week that the, adept- that the, the stimulus they imposed on their muscles this week adapts next week and they're able to beat their previous performance. Okay,
0: so I'm with you now and again, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of put both of you on the spot here. So, Calvin, I'm with you and hey, you know, it's my third week checking in with you. I'm still at 225 for 10. I'm sleeping okay. I'm eating okay. What do we do?
1: Just keep going next week and see if you can get 225 for 11.
0: Okay, next week comes up. I got 225 for 10 again.
1: You got 225 for 10 again? I would just say, try to get 225 for 11 the next week.
0: So you just infinitely just have somebody just keep doing the same thing
1: yeah if i already think their volume is good i the reason they can't get to 225 for 11 right is because there's there might be some sort of you know there might be a level of fatigue that's preventing them from doing from getting 225 for 11 so if i add another set that's just more fatigue so i'm not
0: so i don't i don't personally disagree with that from a set standpoint i mean and again, I already had qualified, hey, sleep and eating, you know, if, if it was a client of mine, I'd probably say, are you eating enough? Are you, if the person's not gaining weight, maybe you need to gain weight. There's, you know, maybe it is on deload, but, um, but it, again, it, it doesn't really sound like then you believe that volume, but somebody I, I feel like somebody who believes that volume is a primary prog- um, stimulator of progression would say, let's add a set again, assuming that they're not super run down and things like that. But I don't know how you would handle it. You, Paul, you're saying you would say let's increase the intensity. So how would you do that? So if they're, um, let's say they're doing that 225
2: for 10 and 225 for 10 for like that following week and they've done that for like two to three weeks and so they're not progressing, just mm-hmm. introduce a back-off set, drop the weight and then have them hit it as hard as they can for more reps. So this way they're driving more intensity in their training and this allows for more growth with. Out the need of adding extra volume so like let's say they do 225 for 10 the first time right and they keep on doing that but like the next week you keep that particular volume the exact same but then just be like hey man just do 225 for the first set for as many as you can and then like do a backup set where you drop the weight off and then increase the overall work intensity by doing more reps and then adding in, uh, drop sets add in cluster stats and all that stuff in there to overall and drive up your intensity and that would allow them to kind of break through that plateau if they if
0: the rest is already there as a factor to recover from see this is funny to me because these are the exact opposite answers that I was expecting because I totally expected Calvin to say add volume you know add another set and Paul you're saying add a back off set that is adding volume I mean yeah. well not in a, yeah, in, a, in a sense when you add like a back off set but like back off set till
2: failure like you do the exact same set like you do that same two sets of 225 for 10 and whatever. But like you just do the 225 as a working set. And then you have that back off. So, which is still that it's still two sets, but now you're just driving more reps to increase overall intensity to allow for more muscle uh, hypertrophy. So you're not, you're not essentially changing the set. It's just maintaining two sets. But the second set is a back off set. You drop the weight and then you do as many reps as you can to allow for so you're changing the rep
0: range.
2: Yeah, exactly. you change changing the rep range, but this also drives your intensity
0: up as well. So were you assuming that, that there were two sets to begin with in that example? Yes, there were two sets to begin with. Okay, so actually you're almost deloading then. So if you're saying if the first week was two sets to failure, mm-hmm. now you're making it one set to failure and one back offset. Am I getting that yes. right? Yes, and one okay. back offset close to one to
2: three reps in reserve or as many reps as you can get. And then but, progressing from there, and then progress, and just keep it at that. Like every time, you'd always increase the weight. Let's say you've had two twenty five for ten that first week, and then you do that back set with let's say one eighty five, and you do that one eighty five for as many reps as you can. The next week, when you do come in, what you can do, you keep that exact same set, but increase the weight. So instead of doing two twenty five for ten, you just do two thirty for four to six, and then do a backup set, and then repeat the same process over and over again without ever having
0: to increase the volume. So you're basically looking for a linear progression then, adding weight, and you're going to end up dropping reps. Mm -hmm. On the second set. Yeah,
2: adding weights, dropping reps, and then eventually you're going to get stronger because, so my general progression scheme is pretty much very simple, and why I try to push the whole intensity is a big factor, is let's use the 225, for example, for saying you're doing two sets, of one set is 225 and then you do that for like eight to 10 reps, right? The first week you get your eight to 10 reps. And then now we, I'm like, okay, you have 10 reps. You can hit 10 reps with 225 pretty easily. And then you do a backup set with like 185, do as many reps as you can. And then the next week you keep those rep, those sets, the exact same, just bump up the weight to 230 for either four to six reps or six to eight. And then you do a backup set again and you do the exact same thing. But then you, you're not going to move the weight up till you get 10 reps. So once you get that 10 reps, then you move the weight up and still maintain that intensity while volume is still the exact same week to week. If that yeah. makes sense.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree there. Like that's something that I would actually do. But I would do that. I would change the rep ranges if the plateau happens longer. So like I told Dave earlier, if the plateau is only one or two weeks, I'm just going to say, keep doing the same thing. See if we can really force this rep out. See if you can really adapt if we just need a little bit more time for, for adaptations before we really try to, okay, let's change things up to see, to, to try to get the adaptation a different way. So I don't think we, we disagree there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, and it sounds like, Paul, maybe you're considering volume in your mind is like number of work sets. Is that roughly accurate? Like rather than, because some people will define volume as reps times set time weight in which case any progression is essentially volume progression I and mean, yeah. not literally, but you know, for the most part. Um, but it sounds like when you're talking about adding volume, you're really thinking of like sets. Would you say that's accurate?
2: That's accurate. But within its the sets, there's always the weight, the reps and how much intensity you put in within those sets to drive hypertrophy, which right. you don't, again, you don't necessarily have to increase the volume. You just keep on changing those little, fa- those little factors and overall increase the weight on the bar.
0: Yeah. I always thought it was interesting. Like you'll see people from different camps. So like, the volume camp will say, well, how are you going to add weight forever? You know, but it's like, well, we can just add sets to which I would say, well, you can't add sets forever either. You know, there's eventually going to be a point where you're done and vice versa. They'll say, are you going to add sets forever? We can add weight. I would actually be more on the side that you can add weight forever. Not in like the literal sense. Obviously you're not going to get stronger past a certain point, but in the sense that like that can be done. I feel like over a longer period of time, meaning that if you're training for 15 years, you're not going to be adding work sets that whole time. I mean, you might start off with six. What are you going to be at like 40 at the end of your training career? Like probably not. I mean, in some rare cases, but with weight, you can over 15 years go from a hundred pounds to 115 pounds, like, as far as the lift to where people who were squatting, you know, 135 are now squatting, you know, 550 for reps. I mean, it happens. So I think there's actually more room for progression with weight in that sense. And then, but obviously... I think, and, you know, I think both you alluded to the fact that, you know, these studies are generally done, they're an acute period, you know, you know, maybe talking four to 12 weeks, um, they're often beginner to intermediates. At the end of the day, I, I do feel like most people are going to find a volume level. And this isn't disagreeing with either of you, because it goes to your point, Calvin, that like, you're not constantly going up, you're finding an adequate amount. Yeah. And to your point, Paul, like you, it can still be a smaller amount, because I know very, very advanced guys who are using four to 10 work sets total and i think in both situations you're not going to be finding this like higher and higher volumes the higher total volumes will be through the higher weights again using the reps times sets times weights calculation but ultimately most people find a general set range that works for them and they kind of stick to that through most of their career you know most people who are 35 and have been lifting since they're 15 they're not doing four times the number of work sets that they used to do, you know?
1: Yeah. And I so think when,
0: oh, sorry.
1: Oh, I was just oh. going to say, I think when, when I put an emphasis on volume, I'm not putting only an emphasis on increasing volume, but an emphasis just on volume itself. So that could even mean a decrease. So like you mentioned, like a lot of older guys, when their recovery goes down because of life stress, life events, I actually decrease the volume. So you don't I think just that in- decrease
2: actually decrease the weight and then What's increase, up? you don't just increase the weight and then, I mean, decrease the weight and then increase the reps.
1: Uh, no. So for me, I will continue to try to keep them no, no matter what age they are, uh, no matter what recovery capacity they're at, I always try to increase the weight or the reps. So those always try to go up. So I'm essentially trying to get them to, let's say squat from like 95 for eight to like squatting, like 225 for 12. Like if you can go from point A to point B that way, right, then uh, you're going to see muscle growth. But from that point to this point, you want to optimize the dose. So if you have this much recovery, right, and you're only training with this much volume, I'm going to increase your volume a little bit. But if you have, uh, let's say, this much recovery, and you're training with this much volume, I'm going to try to decrease your volume to optimize the dose. So when I'm emphasizing volume, I just think it's very important to get the dose right, which like, uh, like uh, Dave said, that most people will figure out, but that's usually not after like, until like years of lifting and getting to know your bodies. Whereas like the average, I would even say intermediate, right? I don't, think, I don't think even an intermediate is quite there because their life is everywhere. They don't know how to adjust based on energy balance. And they're continuing to see, okay, well, sometimes I do these exercises. They're more fatiguing. And then I have to decrease my volume. They're not seeing these types of things that an advanced person would see. So, which is why I think ultimately you should work with a coach that can help you see, okay, for your current exercises, for your current recovery and energy balance, you should be training at this volume. So, um, with a lot of people that come to me, I actually think there's more people where I decrease the volume, but there's also a lot of people where I increase the volume as well. So it it just really depends.
2: That's literally what this comes down to.
1: Yeah.
0: It all depends. For sure. <laughs> I'm just curious, <laughs> Kevin, Um, For you, roughly, like, what number of sets do you tend to use per body part, work sets?
1: Um, so I use, generally speaking, for, like, let's say, like, an advanced individual, I'll generally use uh, 10 to 20 for males and then 10 to 25 for females. And then I'll go up to 30 if they are specializing, like, if they really want, like, a um, – like a body part to to grow specifically for over a period of months. But that's very rare that I ever even go past 20 for most people. So that's generally my recommendation.
2: Um, So I usually start them as low as I possibly can. (laughs) And um, that sometimes can be whether whether one set or two set. But for me to change up their um, overall volume, it takes like a month to kind of be like, all right, man, you've done two sets for a long period of time. And then within a month, or four to six weeks, I just change it up by one and still have those exact same factors that I mentioned, increase the reps, the weights within those sets, and then just repeat the cycle all over again. I I don't ever have anyone go over like 20 or 30 sets because I just feel like at that point you're just doing junk volume and there's really no benefit in that just from my experience. But if you have an individual, again, if you have an individual who's like training intensely and then driving themselves to like almost a point of failure, you don't need to increase the volume necessarily because the factor is already there for I purchase, which is just either get yourself or push yourself close to failure to grow. So, um, Yeah, the the highest I've had people go per um, body part is maybe like 10 to 12.
1: Yeah, so I I pretty much agree with everything you said there. Um, And I agree that you don't need to have more volume if you're already training the failure. But now we get into the discussion of, well, which is better just training all the way to failure and just doing the most sets you can recover, which isn't going to be very much because you're training all the way to failure, right? Or Do we leave one to two, maybe three sometimes in reserve? Um, We're still at that threshold where we're very close to failure. But by leaving those reps in the tank, we have more recovery to do more sets. And by tacking those reps onto another set, would we get better hypertrophy? And I would say that most of the literature would agree with that point, even in advanced lifters. So that's where I get my kind of 10 to 20 from. It's not 10 to 20, like super hard to failure sets. It's usually 10 to 20, and a portion of those are hard to failure, and the rest are uh, just close to failure, but not all the way to failure. Because if you look at the literature, just the literature by itself, right? Because we can go off-subjective, oh, I train more volume, or this guy you know, trained more intensity, and he's not as fatigued or whatever. But just by literature alone, it generally points to uh, intensity being more fatiguing than volume. We don't, we don't have a quantifiable way to... To compare that but we see that as you get closer to failure those reps are generally uh, exponentially fatiguing so that's that's actually one of the few things i agree with uh, mike Isratel on which we've kind of already dashed but since dave's already making the title <laughs> as well, continue <laughs> so to
2: um about that i'll come down to mike Isratel as well um, <laughs> so <laughs> They don't really count reps. <laughs> they don't say, Hey, this is the specific reps I'm going to hit, and I'm just going to hit it. They just basically just go until they're one to three reps in reserve. So I'm not saying like when I train somebody, I want them to go balls to walls, kind of like kill themselves failure. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying pick a weight, do it for as many reps as you can until you're one to three reps in reserve. There's no like four to six reps, eight to 12 reps, same to 12 reps. You just do whatever you can until you're about that one to three reps closer to failure.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, uh, I, I don't disagree there. I do it a little bit different. So I, I give them a rep range. So let's say I get somebody that's like, we'll say intermediate, and I they, they come, they come to me and they, they want to have an optimized hypertrophy program. I give them a rep range and then I the first week I tell them, okay, choose a weight that you think that you can reach, like you said, close to failure within this rep range. So if you can go past this rep range and do like 10 extra reps, then that weight is probably too light. Um, if you can't even get into the rep range, that weight is probably too heavy. So just try to get into that rep range. And let's say they get into that rep range. Um, it doesn't really matter if they're three reps away from failure or four reps away from failure. Let's say they choose like 95 pounds. The next week, right? I'm going to tell them, okay, try to hit the higher end of that rep range. So let's say they get they they get 10 reps, and my rep range is eight to 12. Next week, they hit 12, and then once they hit 12, I increase the load, and then. I keep doing that. And I think we have, we end up getting to the same points anyways, it, Yeah, but we I'm, really do. I'm not a big fan of saying, okay, just do it until you feel this much. Because like you said earlier, most people don't know what actually one rep in reserve is, or most people so why don't would actually you
2: know. Tell what a be- why would you target like a specific rep range for a beginner? How about you just tell them to just do as many as they can?
1: Well, that's the thing. If you tell them to do as many as they can, they might not actually train as intensely as you want.
2: Really? That's kind of weird. That's kind of what I tell my clients. And they just they train actually a lot harder because they don't have a certain certain set limitation that tells them, hey, I got to stop here. Because sometimes if you tell people to do like eight to 10 reps or eight to 12 reps, they'll pick a weight, but they'll kind of pretend like they're kind of get into it because they don't even know what it feels like to push themselves to that limit where it's like one to three reps in reserve. So if you just tell them, hey, man, just do as many reps as you can till you feel like you're about to like fail at a certain rep range. Just keep on going. If you
0: can do 50 reps, sure, go ahead. <laughs> it's funny True. you say that because I I think that really comes down to the mindset of a person. And I, I was having a discussion about this with somebody. So have you ever seen those like, uh, not like an arcade game, but like there's like a thing at the beach and you have to hold on to the bar as long as you can, right? You can make it to like a minute, you get the price, mm-hmm. whatever. And it's funny because anything like that where there's like a timer, there are going to be people who that helps and people who it hurts. And what I mean is, there, if somebody is at, let's say you're trying to hit a minute, if somebody is at 55 seconds and they're like, this is so hard, but they know I just have to make it five more seconds, then they will, a lot of people will be able to push harder and make it to that one minute. Conversely, there might be some people who could have made it to a minute and 10, but they just know I just need to make it to a minute. So they let go at a minute, even though they had more in them. And that's going to depend on the mindset of the person. And similarly, with the rep ranges, you might have some people who they say, okay, hit 12. And for somebody who they just have that mindset of like, I need to just go all out, right? I need, they're going to add maybe more weight. Like in Paul's case, right? There's, you're saying your, your clients are able to like really push. So for some people, they're going to say, okay, I'm at eight. This is already so hard, but I need to get to 12. And it's going to help them progress. But other people, if they're maybe, too intimidated by heavier weights, they might pick a lighter weight. And even though they could do 15, they're going to say, oh, I'm at 12, I'm done. Does that make sense? And I I think a lot of times you have to gauge the client.
1: For sure. That's very fair. That's a very fair point. But to that, the reason why I'm not worried about that is let's say they do, they pick a weight that they could have done 15 with, but they only get to 12, right? And then if they already got to 12, next week, I'm making them increase the weight anyways. So the the week to week progressions that I do, it self-corrects for that. So yeah, you're you're right that there are going to be a certain population that first week that might not train hard enough.
2: And like I said, most, if your target is gen pop, they're not going to know how to do that. Like if most people, like if you tell them to train this certain rep range, they'll just go for that, whether the weight is light or heavy, because they can't even tell themselves how much they have to work because they don't know. Like if they'll just pick something lighter, just go along with it.
1: For sure. But then, like I said, it self corrects itself. But to mm. that point, too, this is all assuming, this is all assuming yes. that if we're training all the way to failure, right, or if we train very intensely, right, that we're assuming that that's the, the optimal way to do it. And so like, like, like I said, I kind of like rep ranges and giving them like, a okay, here's a rep range. And then here's uh, how many reps in reserve that I kind of want you to stay around, right? I'm not going to know exactly for sure. But if you can kind of get there, and I can continue to add weight and reps each week to you, then you're going to grow regardless. Whereas if you don't give someone a rep range, right? One, you run into the problem that they might not stay, even though it's hard, they might not stay in like a quote unquote optimal rep range because we know that if you get way too light or if you get way too heavy per set, you grow less muscle. And two, um, if they go too hard, you might not be able to tack on more sets, which we kind of, I think that's where we kind of disagree a bit
2: actually you don't necessarily need to add more sets when that happens when that happens you initially just kind of just like um so let's say somebody does like a certain rep range right
1: yeah
2: don't add more sets just kind of have them keep on pushing for that one number and number so like next week it's like being the logbook kind of thing so if they get like 15 the next week just have them do more and more and more and more reps Cause they're going to be able to have enough recovery enough time to be able to come back again next week. And even if just one single rep or two reps, they can be able to push themselves to get that one. Just say, Hey, just beat what you did last week.
1: Gotcha. But why would you not want that? Right. If they could just get, you know, one or two more reps, but on additional sets. So I'm also thinking, I think, I think we actually agree a lot on this point, but some, but through our discussion, I think there's something we might disagree on that if Dave is cool with it, we can, might be able to do another one of these, um, is I think we, dis- we might disagree on frequency. So I'm not only thinking about the session within that session, I'm thinking about this following session. Not right away, but it looks like from what it sounds like, you're training people, you know, uh, very low volume, uh, high intensity, and you're training generally a, a body part split. So low frequency, generally nope. speaking. No, twice
2: no. a week, twice, three times a week.
1: Gotcha. So I'm kind of still in that same boat, but I train some some clients. I train like complete full body. Like, uh, give shout outs to. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like my mentor, uh, Meno Henselman. So he's pretty big on the the high frequency. I know they. I was gonna have- say
0: earlier that you you actually speak like Meno.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah,
0: yeah, just like the way you speak. I was gonna make a comment about it earlier.
1: Yeah. Oh for sure. We've had a we've had a interaction. So I'm not gonna like hold the my conflict of interest out of this. So uh, yeah, we're, we're good friends. And um, I don't agree with everything he says, but this is an area that I, I definitely agree with. So it sounds like just to kind of reiterate is you're a moderate frequency, um, low volume and uh, high intensity, whereas I'm someone that's uh, I'm someone that's high frequency, uh, moderate volume and uh, not necessarily high intensity but not necessarily moderate intensity either. So enough intensity is kind of where I'm at.
2: Well, when you're running a four-day full-body split, yeah, you can't have high intensity.
1: Yeah, well, it also depends too because then you can manage other variables. Like if you have high intensity, but you lower volume, right? You increase your ability to recover. So like these are things that I'm looking at for every single client. I'm not just going, okay, just train really hard and we'll make it to the next session. It's, It's a very methodical thing that I'm doing.
2: So I think when it comes to these little debates, which is exactly why I did this, because I was going based on an anecdotal experience rather than a scientific based experience as well, is that honestly, when it comes to lifting, you can have, people may disagree or agree with me on this. You can have as many experiences you want, you could have as many scientific back research as you possibly can. But at the end of the day, it really all just depends.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree there. Um, Yeah, I don't disagree there for sure, but I think a lot of times, I'm not saying you have this perspective, but I think a lot of times when people have that perspective, they're almost basically saying like, oh, like science doesn't matter or like, like, because I think a lot of times in the fitness industry, especially, and I'm not saying you, but I'm saying like, a lot of people I see who dismiss science, right, they're kind of doing it because they almost don't want to be held accountable to the science or they don't want to be held accountable to the interpretation of the science, because it's a lot of work to kind of interpret and go through all these things. These are conclusions I come to, not just from going, oh, I read PubMed, you know, I'm not as jacked as Paul, so I'm just gonna base my, my brand on, on PubMed. It's things where I, I'm testing in the field and I'm seeing the studies, I'm seeing the designs, I hear all the critiques of, oh, you know, uh, it's only done in untrained and I take those with a grain of salt and see what's the best conclusion I can draw from those. Because at the end of the day, I mentioned this point earlier, is I think that controlled studies, right, no matter how good we think our experience are, and it always has a depends in it, but we have to see, okay, based on these controlled studies, where do they apply? Because we can't just say, oh, it depends, so studies don't matter. It's where do these studies apply in, and how can it apply in certain situations? Certain ones, it might apply more, and then certain ones, it might apply less. But... Um, I think a lot of times people with, with that, with the perspective of dismissing science, they almost don't want to to go through all that work of seeing where it fits at all.
2: But why would you have to when you could just work? What's up? But why would you have to go through all that work when you can just apply work and just tr- train how you need to?
1: You can, you can. You can do that for the sake of getting progress. But yeah. for the sake of maximizing progress, you need these variables controlled to see, okay, this guy did this. And even though the study's not perfect, he controlled for these variables. And the one variable he changed looked a little bit better here. So it's kind of like, am I going to go off of my experience? Because like most people, you know, they love their experience. But logically speaking, our experiences are like there's so many different variables that come into life. And even though science can't control for all those variables, they're controlling for enough to where we, we should we should say, in my opinion, we should be humble enough to say, okay. There might be something there. I'm not just saying, like, like I said, I'm not just saying read PubMed and be like, oh, the conclusion says this. I'm saying these guys control the study and this study is relatively high quality. How does it stack up with other high quality studies? And if it's against my biases, why is that? And if I can't come up with a reasonable explanation, for me for me personally, I can't go to bed at night thinking, okay, I'm just gonna prescribe my clients what, what works best for me or, or what I feel would work best for them I'm gonna go, okay, this is what's working best for you based on the guidelines we set up and the foundation we set up. Um, and based on research, where you're currently going, it might be beneficial to change these variables. Now, I'm not 100% sure, and, these, uh, and this change might be against my personal experience, but I think it'll be best for you to at least, to at least try them. So I think that's where, where science is, is very useful.
2: So how do you train?
1: Uh, I trained just like I, I mentioned earlier. I trained. Isn't that um, like
2: going based off your experience through your scientific research? What's up? Is, you're basically so basically you're training your clients based off how you train.
1: Um, no, not necessarily. I train them based on what the science says would be best for someone like them.
2: So like you today. basically train. How do you? How do you personally yourself? How do you train?
1: Um, I train right now. I train full body. No, but eight. like
2: you're saying, like you train your um, let's say your clients based off how the science wants them to train that you think is most optimal for them. But I'm talking about you specifically. In your routine, in your program, do you train the exact same way that you train your clients based on science?
1: Um, sometimes very similar, but depending on what our preferences are. Like I said, I'm not just saying, this is what the science says, fit it in a box. It's this is what the science says, and let's try to uh, fit this to the individual. So oh, because yeah. I'm different than my clients, then my programs might be a little bit different. And preferences play, play a role too.
2: But so you're still applying just- the scientific aspect of it towards your own client. Hence, you're applying what you're teaching your clients.
1: Yeah. Well, when I say apply it, I'm saying this is what I'm recommending for you. Obviously, if someone's saying, just for an example, they're saying, oh, I don't want to do a full body split. I'll never stick to that. Uh, I'm not going to be like, oh, full body is what science says. I- I'm not going to be like that. But I, am, but I do you know, hold them accountable. And you can ask a lot of my clients. I educate them on all this stuff. So I say, OK, this is where we're at. This is the, the pros and cons of going this route is the pros and cons of going this route. It might be more fun to go this route, but I don't think that's the, the more beneficial route. And so sometimes clients will, will take my advice and sometimes they'll go, oh no, I'd rather do this. And I'm totally okay with it. Um,
0: I think it's almost yeah. impossible to completely separate one's experience, right? Like obviously like exactly. we're all gonna have our experience for anything, you know I mean? If you have a supplement that you really feel worked and you know, two out of only two out of 10 studies on it show that it's effective, but you really feel like it. I mean, you're probably going to keep taking it, right? You're not going to say, well, but to your point, Calvin, like you might say, well, look, I mean, this is what I do for some supplements too. I say, look, the preponderance of evidence suggests this. I personally feel like there's enough evidence to, or or maybe I just feel like it benefits me. And so I do. it. And so you obviously have to include both. Um, I think it's interesting that, you you know, you talked about um, earlier, Calvin, like pretty much all of the literature would suggest in your example of like, okay, you know, X number of sets, all out failure, or maybe keep them at two RIR and more volume. And pretty much all of the literature on it shows that the latter would be more effective for hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. Again, short-term studies, does it actually matter at all in the long run? I think probably not that much, to be honest. But regardless, that is what the literature suggests. I do find it's interesting how, I mean, like I've said on the podcast before, even Brad Schoenfeld, and he's the one running some of these studies, that... Mm -hmm he feels like going to failure is actually beneficial and he's not sure why it doesn't show up in the studies, but that that's his belief. Um, I have been, I've always been more on like the low volume camp, but I've been surprised in like recent years, just how much I can get away with bringing volume down. And again, that doesn't necessarily change what I would do for a client completely, but to some degree it does. And, and I can't tell you the number of clients who I've had come from, maybe like high volume camps. I agree. There. What's that?
1: I said, I agree that I have a lot of people that just train with way too much volume and then actually yeah. decrease their volume.
0: Yeah. And it like I, a lot of, you know, in this space, there's a lot of neuroticism and OCD and I'm definitely somebody who was like mm-hmm. that when I was younger. And so a lot of my clients, they, they probably sense that. And that's probably part of why they want to work with me. And they're like, is this enough? You know, my, is, is this number of days enough or is this volume enough? And like, inevitably, you know, like one of my clients, literally it's been like three weeks now brought his calories up his volume way down he's getting stronger and losing weight every week and it's just because before there were just so many issues going on with you know stress and too much volume and all this stuff my point is um i have been kind of amazed at how low the volume has gone and kind of similar to paul this recent cut that was one of my most successful cuts ever i was literally doing like four to six sets per body part per week Um, And I've kind of been surprised, like every workout, I'd be like, this is still like I'm maintaining strength. So um, I'm definitely not against like the applications of high volume at times. But I, when I see like some of the literature talk about like 30 plus sets, I I do question that.
1: I do not agree with most of those literature because you also have to look at like other variables. Like a lot of the the literature that finds volume being beneficial past like 30 sets uh, usually have like very low rest periods. So in like an optimal setting where you have higher rest periods you don't need that much volume to trigger that same amount of growth but everything you said i actually really agree with and um in terms of volume the you're right the you can get away with very low volume um if you can just do like one or two sets and as long as overload is there you can still grow most of your gains but i'm kind of like a like a science guy where i'm like okay well i have clients and i can only experience so much with clients right? And then there's this body of literature where people are doing experiments just like me. These are still real people, you know what I mean? And even though these guys might not lift and they might not coach like I do, they've set up these parameters where I can learn something from. And so I want to look there and see, okay, how can I get that last like 10% of gains, if you will, because if if I already know that one set can get me there, and if I already know that overload can get me there, right, I, I, I feel like I feel like as coaches, we should always look for, okay, how do I, how do, I do it better, right? It, it might not always apply to our clients, but maybe sometimes we'll, we'll stumble on something that, that would. So that's kind of why, um, even though most of your gains can come from just training hard, adding overload, I think that's why science is very beneficial because getting to that last 10%, we really don't know. We really don't have the, the data to say, you know, based on our own anecdote, no matter how many clients we train, we can't really pinpoint it down to saying, okay, this is what's definitely getting me that that last 10%, because that could just be the last 9%, but not the last 10%. Um, Yeah, I'm sounding a little too hard, or I'm sounding a little too gun-ho on science right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but um, so I don't usually train clients the way that I train, like, (laughs) like, I I do not recommend my clients to train the way that I do. So my theory is that every single program works whether it just be a bro split, whether it just be a I agree. two times a week, three times a week, four times a week. The only variable that people generally have to change in their specific routine is progression.
1: I agree. Progressive overload is, is what's needed for sure.
2: Yeah. So if you have progression, like you can apply, let's say, usually when I, when my clients come to me, I'm like, Hey man, what are your favorite body parts you like to do for each muscle group or whatever they tell me? And then they tell me and I ask him how, many times you want to work out they tell me how many times you want to work out so it's all customizable specifically to them based on what it is that they prefer and then once they tell me that i make their program based on what they like so they can kind of stick to the program and i feel like oh this program sucks well just got to me so i got to stick to it this way um so basically it's all customizable to them and then i just tell them to just freaking apply progressive overload there's not like the reason why I'm like so against the whole science aspect of it is like, there's, even though there's like the science, we just said, so oh, this does this, this does that. There's not like a specific thing that one has to do to make progress that is continuously like constant on everything that they do. But the one thing that you can tell them just like, Hey man, just train harder, increase the weight, or increase the volume. And that's it. That's it's so simple to just say that, than having to like explain them like a whole literature.
1: For sure. And uh, just to be clear, I don't explain uh, to my clients the whole literature or anything, and I pretty much, when I give advice to clients, I give it just the way you say it, but behind the scenes, when I'm making their program, I'm factoring in all these quote-unquote scientific factors.
2: Yeah, I do that as well in terms of like training my own clients, but like, to me specifically, what I do, I don't prescribe to my clients. Gotcha. Whether it just be, si- oh, I mean, I applied the science method of it, but like if I train a certain way, I'm just like, yeah, dude, um, just do whatever you want to do. If they want to have high volume, they have high volume. If they want to have low volume, they have low volume. If they want to have like supersets and drop sets, they have it. It's, it's, it's more about just making it enjoyable for them and not sticking to one specific way that fits everything. Yeah, I, I, do, I do the exact same thing. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Just trying to get that out of the way.
0: All right, guys. So we're kind of just over an hour now. Um, certainly we can, you know, get you guys back on, debate some other things. But uh, I appreciate you guys making the time mm-hmm. for this. And where can people find more of your work? Um, I'm on Instagram, can you Lift. I like to say can you Lift.
2: That's pretty much it. All Don't right. I any other handles.
0: And you, Calvin?
1: Uh, I am Awesome Fitness Science. Uh, my website is awesomefitnessscience.com and Instagram and YouTube, Awesome Fitness Science as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys.